I want to dive right in to where we are at in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with this question. Are you a spiritual Christian? Uh, I'm going to share a few stories of, of my own. This is something that maybe maybe has passed through your mind. Am I or am I not spiritual or spiritual enough? Uh, I want to give us an idea of what it truly means to be a spiritual Christian uh, this morning. Uh, maybe you've thought at times when you've met somebody, you see somebody, perhaps somebody in this in this space this morning, when you look at them, you say, ah, they're that person. They're a spiritual person, right? They clean up nicely. They come to church on time, perhaps even early. Uh, they always have something to say that sounds like the right thing to say. Uh, they, they never cuss. They don't drink or smoke. They don't play pool. They don't go to dances. They don't gamble. And they don't play saxophone. So right away, you know that they've reached. I heard somebody say that once. Okay, you couldn't be spiritual, a spiritual Christian, and play the saxophone. So just keep that in mind if that's a temptation of yours. Now, uh, maybe there is somebody that checks all those boxes, right? And you look at them and you think, wow, they've got it together spiritually speaking. And then you look at yourself and, wow, I don't check all the boxes, okay? Uh, I, I knew one guy who uh, seemed to be very spiritual, uh, this is a few years ago, and uh, he wanted to get away from the influences of society and culture around him, so he moved into a log cabin in the woods, and very literally, he was in that cabin. He had a wood-burning stove in his cabin and almost nothing else, dirt floor, uh, he, very, very simple. Uh, I enjoyed talking to him. He always had a depth of uh, meaning and purpose to the things that he said that I appreciated. Uh, I went to visit him one time in the log cabin. It was right on the front edge of winter, kind of like where we're at now in November. And I noticed that the structure looked sturdy, but there are big gaps between the logs, okay? I don't know what you call that. There's a word for that. Chinking? Yeah. So he hadn't done that, okay? He was not ready for winter. He survived winter somehow, uh, but it, it was not pretty. It couldn't have been pretty. So uh, he, in some respects, I thought he was impressive and he had things together. But in other ways, I thought, you're not healthy, okay? If you think you're going to survive a winter out here on your own in a log cabin that's not truly ready for winter, you're, you're in for trouble. Maybe some people, in some ways, strike you as very spiritual and deep and meaningful, but at the same time, odd, Okay, like maybe this guy, like not all that with it or completely discerning, right? Uh, and it's kind of a weird mix of stuff going on in their lives. Sometimes that happens. I grew up with uh, Christian parents. Most of you know that, went to church regularly. I developed an understanding from a very young age of being spiritual uh, as something basically for other people to attain to and not myself, because I didn't really like being in the building every time the doors were unlocked. Uh, I'd rather, you know, watch the cool shows on Sunday night uh, that I never got to watch because we had to go to church on Sunday night. Anybody, anybody here grow up with that? Okay? Like, nobody does that anymore for probably a lot of really good reasons. But then, oh my goodness, if you were spiritual, you went to church Sunday morning and Sunday night, and you didn't skip out to watch TV or do whatever, you know, heathen people did on Sunday night. I don't know what they did because I was never there. I was always at church. But I had this 
understanding of what it means to be spiritual as a different level, a level up than where I was as a kid or an adolescent. And that wasn't necessarily accurate. In fact, it wasn't accurate. And it probably wasn't really good for me as far as what was modeled to me and so forth. But I saw not just attendance, not just attendance on Sunday night, uh, but it seemed like a certain, uh, especially as a teenager, there were, there were certain kids that, that did things that I didn't want to do. Uh, and I equated that at the time with being more spiritual, like the quiz team, okay? Now, I, I, I you know, talk about post-traumatic stress, okay? I went to a Christian camp where at the end of the day, there was the quiz thing. I don't know what they called it, but I, I think it was right after dinner. So you did your devotions, your Bible study in the, in the early morning, Right? And then the end of the day was the quiz based on what you did that morning. I didn't remember what, you know, you've got all day. You're swimming and you're doing fun stuff. It's the summer. And then all of a sudden you got to sit down in this chair that's got a buzzer on it. Okay? So that's how they, that's how they figured out who jumped up first. They're, not a buzzer. It didn't actually shock you. I was calling it the wrong thing. It was, it was some, this plastic pad thing that was sat on the, on the chair, right? So you're sitting on it, and the first person to jump up, it would register that, right? And they got to be the first one to answer the question, okay? And uh, I was not spiritual enough for that, because I didn't remember anything by the end of the day. True confession, okay? Now you're wondering, why am I a pastor, right? Because I blew it. I still, I still, traumatic stress, I still remember sitting there, and just deciding, I'm going to get through this by not responding to anything, okay? I can get through it, but there's one problem with that strategy. So if the person on the other team, other cabin, right, in the corresponding chair, if they jumped up and got it wrong, then the corresponding chair on the other side got a free guess at at whatever the question was, right? So it happened. It was inevitable that it happened, right? So the guy on the other side at number three, whatever chair that I'm in, he jumps up, got it wrong, and then the room goes quiet. It's the freebie. Everybody's staring at you. I stand up. Now, you'd think I'd remember the question because it was so traumatic. I I don't remember the question because I literally blanked out. I was so terrified that I was on the spot in front of everyone, and all I could do is mumble something that made, it's like out of a movie, right? I mumbled something that made no sense, everybody laughed at me, and all I wanted to do was go home, because I didn't measure up, right? If you've ever, maybe that's a weird story and you can't relate, maybe you can. If you've ever been in a situation where you feel like you haven't measured up, spiritually. Everybody knows more. Everybody's reached a different level, and you look like a joke. And in comparison, why am I here? And will it ever get better? And I don't like the things they like. You know, I mean, we can do that as kids or adolescents or even as adults. I'm never going to be that person, that spiritual person. Then this morning's for you. It truly is. We are going to look at what Paul says and what Paul introduces us to this morning and get a far more um, informed idea of what it means to be spiritual. And it's absolutely critical as we begin this series because these folks in the church in Corinth had issues of being spiritual. And you could easily say this morning, I will say it, they were not spiritual. Uh, As we've already looked at at just the very beginning, the introduction last week, 
Uh, they were bringing all sorts of other worldly, Paul used the word world, and worldly stuff. They're bringing it into their church. It, that's what they believe in. And then yet they've got, well, they have all these other problems as a church because of what they're bringing in. So they are distinctly not thinking in a spiritual way, and they need to do that. But where do you start? They're believers. Here's another thing. I grew up with this understanding. We're going to quit looking at this guy. He's disturbing. Okay. <laughs> I grew up with this, uh, grew up with this understanding uh, that you didn't really need to bother with that spiritual stuff anyway. Uh, all the, you know, not just the stuff that caused my trauma, but I, I said a sinner's prayer many times, starting at a very young age. So I, I had my fire insurance. I was not going to go to hell. I, I had what I needed. Now leave me alone because I don't like being on a spot and uh, I, I don't like being tested in those certain ways. So that was enough. And we've seen that kind of very casual approach to the gospel just uh, saturate. You know, American Christianity, evangelical belief uh, is, and I've, I've, I don't know how many times I've said that. I think J.I. Packer said it first. It's a mile wide and an inch deep, Right? It's just, it's all, it's all encompassing. Just say a few words, you're in the club, and don't worry about being more spiritual. Don't worry about being formed as a disciple, as a follower of Christ. I would believe that is in a, in a sort of similar way where Corinth and these Corinthians are at, and perhaps where you're at this morning. Don't bother me with the rest of that stuff. I'm not going to be that spiritual person in that weird warped sense of the word spiritual. I'm not going to be that person anyway. Just leave me alone. I'm just going to cruise through this experience until I'm dead. And that's not really an option either for a believer when it comes to what does it mean to be spiritual. So that's where we're going to chisel into God's word this morning. Are you spiritual? Do you consider yourself to be a spiritual Christian? And if you're saying no, then this morning I want you to say yes. Okay, so here's how we're going to do that. We're going to read, we're going to read uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, and then this is going to be our introduction into a couple points, three points I'm going to make this morning. Let's read this together. <clears throat> Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but... We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So Paul's understanding, okay, what he's communicating to us this morning about what it means to be spiritual begins with wisdom as it comes from the Holy Spirit that in turn shapes a believer's life, entire life. So we've got to grasp that understanding. And what does he talk about here? He, he begins talking about things that are, are secret and hidden, a secret hidden wisdom of God. But then he ends in verse 10 in the short passage with what? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So he starts with things that are hidden, and then he, then he closes that idea with things that are revealed. Corinthians 
the, uh, the people that uh, are part of the church that live in the city of Corinth, they lived in a place, they're surrounded by talk of wisdom. The philosophers of the day, the sharing of information uh, in Corinth, uh, it was everywhere and uh, covered all things. And here you have this little enclave of Christians that are now called to be out of the world. They're still in it, but they're out of the world. And the way that they're thinking about Jesus, about God, about salvation, about their life, about their lifestyles, they're called to be different than where they come from and everything that surrounds them. And that's a huge deal. Now, so Paul begins with this idea here, talking about things that are secret or hidden because before Christ was revealed, they were. No one in Corinth could have possibly understood what it is that Paul's talking about apart from Jesus revealed and the gospel, the good news that comes through Jesus and his resurrected life. So Paul brings up wisdom a number of times here in chapters one and two. Last week, when we looked in chapter one and working into the beginning of chapter two, wisdom equaled something negative, the wisdom of the world. But now, wisdom is a positive. He's speaking, he's turned around the discussion, okay? What we understand, what we can understand now of the wisdom of God is a positive thing that has now been revealed. So the elite of the world also, he said, they couldn't understand it because the wisdom that God revealed isn't just an intellectual exercise. It can't be. There's something more to the wisdom of God revealed in Christ that the Spirit makes known to us as we respond as we live for him, there's something far more that, than just an intellectual understanding of what's going on. And Andy stresses, as we begin to realize and learn from it and live in it, it's wonderful beyond our imagination. Paul paraphrases. You see that part on the screen that's set apart. So it's kind of a paraphrase of Isaiah 64, verse 4, which says this, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Now, that's Isaiah. That's a long time before Jesus coming, but he's giving us a hint in his prophetic word of what it is that is about to come. No one has heard. There's no possible way that you could ever hear or perceive by the ear or eye could possibly see what is about to happen that Paul is linking our minds into right now when he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him that, that used to be hidden, that nobody could see to understand it, but now, now is revealed through the, through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything. The Spirit knows everything. And now he's revealed that truth, that new life to you. Our Lord has no comparison, and his saving work on our behalf is truly what I, Isaiah says is the word awesome. Let the weight of that word sink into your hearts and minds again this morning. You hear the word, at least you used to, maybe you don't so, so much anymore. The word awesome gets used and abused all the time. But in relationship to God... <laughs> And what it is that he's telling us this morning, he truly is awesome in the fullest sense. There is no way that you compare anything 
to the awesome level, the awesomeness of God. Now, verse 10, these things are revealed through the Spirit. They were hidden, and now they're open. So, where am I going with this? Are you a spiritual question? Number one, with that in mind, do you find joy each day that you have in Christ? That's your question. Number one, do you find joy in what the Spirit of God has revealed to you and how he has changed you? No one gets or understands or appreciates all that no no one possibly could appreciate, understand completely, fully, deeply what it is that you have in your relationship with God. Think about that for a moment. The way that God has saved you, believer, in your life, your story, in what God has done to save you. Do you relish the thought of saving grace? And does that turn into joy that goes on and on? The Lord of glory prepared a salvation plan. How does, what does Paul say it? For our glory. There ought to be something that turns us on repeatedly, daily. There is a glory that we get because of Jesus and how he has saved us. That has been revealed to you. You can glory in your story that God has done in you uniquely for you. Now, that isn't something that we always live in all the time, is it? (laughs) That is, maybe that's not real time your reality right now this morning. Now, think about this. To, to revel in the glory, in your glory, and what God is doing in your life doesn't require emotionalism. And that's something very important because we see that a lot today. Uh, a heightened level of emotionalism when it comes to worship or, or even just daily life. I don't feel emotional about the joy of the Lord. So don't get caught up in, if, if, if the emotion isn't there, then I must not be a spiritual person. There are a whole lot of days that there's, there's low-level emotion, or, or it could be a really bad day. And where is God in that, right? He's still there, even if the emotion isn't there. Uh, there are a number of, of spiritual or religious traditions, Christian traditions, that really depend on emotionalism. And we're not one of those. Uh, sometimes I wish we had more of that, honestly, because emotions aren't bad. Emotions are created by God. There is something to enjoy when it comes to worship, to worship on the outside and on the inside all the time, okay? So I'm not poo-pooing emotions all the time. I'm just saying you can't live by those as a believer. They should not define who we are or how we live or how we go forward. There is a verse from Scripture that says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And does that sound familiar? Maybe you've got that on a refrigerator or on your mirror or somewhere. You know where that comes from? It comes from the book of Nehemiah. That's another uh, Old Testament guy. And uh, there's, there's uh, well, we're not going to get deep into the story of Nehemiah, but you'll find that verse in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah and Ezra, they team up. They're rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. Uh, a whole lot of work to be done that was hard labor kind of work. They're actually physically rebuilding the wall that had been destroyed for how many years. And as they're rebuilding it, they're, <clears throat> they're putting all those stones in place. They're uh, putting all sorts of effort into it. I don't know if there's joy in that or not. Maybe some, uh, some, to some degree, even though it's hard work, you get to see the wall going up. 
after the wall is rebuilt, Nehemiah and, and Ezra, they're reading all of the words of the law that have been lost and forgotten to the people. Because it's generations after uh, that they first went into exile. They're reading the law that has been forgotten. People don't know it. For the vast majority, I'm sure, they don't understand what the law was or what it meant. And as the law is being read, they're already exhausted from work. They've got to be. The law is being read, and the people weep. We don't know this. We don't know our God. The emotions of the moment take over, and they, they, they come apart. They're weeping and crying. We've never followed our God. These things are foreign to us, just like any other foreigner. And it sinks in, okay? What does Nehemiah tell them? He said, don't weep about this. <laughs> I mean, it could have been a legalistic thing. Yeah, you're right. You should be crying. You stink, right? You haven't followed the law at all, right? If you're a legalist, that's what you do. But he doesn't do that. Don't weep. You have the law. You have the wall rebuilt. God's presence is, the temple is coming back. All of these things are coming back together. Remember this, even when you're weak and the emotions are, are taking over, the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's something to grasp onto in the presence of God with you no matter how bad the emotions may be, that you can rely on. There are many times that I have not felt joy in an exuberant emotional way. And I know this for certain. As I return to the Word of God, as it continues to guide my thinking, that I know I'm a spiritual person because I keep returning to the Lord no matter how I feel about it. Is that your practice? That can get you through even the roughest days when it seems like God is nowhere to be found. Like what Nehemiah says can also be our promise. There can be joy even though your emotions aren't there. Number one, do you find joy each day? Number two, are you growing in your understanding of your life in Christ. I'll repeat that. It'll be on the screen in a second. Are, are you growing in your understanding of your life in Christ? Let me read. Uh, let's read a couple more verses here. 12 and 13. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now we need to unpack that a little bit here. Understanding the things freely given by God, spiritual believers can, as Paul says, interpret spiritual truths in a way that, that non-believers, people who don't have the Spirit, cannot there is something that we as believers can hold on to and believe and trust in here that God, through the Spirit's work, doesn't leave us empty, doesn't throw us by the side of the road, even if we're not emotionally feeling it, right? That doesn't matter, okay? He is still there and He's still working in us to help us understand what it is that we need to know. Why? Because He loves us and He doesn't set us up for failure. That's what Paul is saying to people who don't quite get it yet. That, don't, that aren't growing in that sense, they, we, we all need to hear that. So spiritual believers know 
a difference between what the Spirit of God is teaching and what the Spirit of the world is teaching, or at least they're beginning to grow in their understanding of that. The believers in Corinth are square one for the most part, and what, we un- what we'll understand through the rest of the book. They are struggling hard. Spirit of the world, Spirit of God, yikes, right? And there are sometimes, and I would say in an increasing way, there are times in the life of churches today that the spirit of the world is becoming all the more popular and all the more acceptable uh, and is kind of seeping its way into the way that we understand what Scripture is teaching. So we've got to be aware that there is a difference between what the spirit of the world is teaching and what the spirit of God in us is telling us. So are we growing up in the spirit of God or are we staying spiritually immature? Who is it that is shaping our thinking? Who is it that is actually discipling us? And that's another thing that as I grew up in the churches I've been in the past, discipleship was for the spiritual people because it took extra time or they had books that they had to fill in lines and I never liked that or they had to memorize more and I always struggled with memorization. I never felt confident with that, you know, especially being put on the spot like I shared earlier. I mean, I couldn't remember my middle name. Everybody staring at me, wondering what I'm going to say next. I don't like that situation. But here's the deal. Paul is telling the Corinthians, you have a responsibility to respond to what the Spirit is saying and live in that and walk in that. There there is no room in the Christian life to just get your fire insurance and then be real casual about everything else because nothing else really matters. The details do matter. Discipleship matters. Who it is that is shaping your thinking um, and the lifestyle that comes out of that shaping, that matters a lot. Because that either honors Christ or not, and it it either helps other people around you see Christ in you so that they want to also follow, or it doesn't, or it works in the opposite way. So at that point, I'm going to say this before we move on real quick. If you haven't considered an ongoing discipling, mentoring, whatever word you want to call it, I don't care. If you haven't really ever considered that, Or if it always seems, eh, that's not really that important. Maybe that's for somebody else, but I'm busy or I'm too busy for that. No, you're not too busy for that. You're not. You need to make time for that in an ongoing way. Because here's the other other deal. Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples, or as you're going, make disciples. There's no end point to that. And in, in my experience, there's none of us, myself included, that have so arrived at being a follower of Jesus Christ that we no longer need mentoring or discipleship. Oh, I, I know it all. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> that you know, what a ridiculous thing to say. Don't act like you're saying that. Reach out, be a part, engage yourself. You need it. We all need it. No man, no woman is an island when it comes to living by faith in Christ. We need each other. We need the input that we can give to each other to keep each other moving. So, where are we at here? Three things. Do you find joy each day that you have in Christ that's forming you and it's not based on just emotions? Are you growing in your understanding of life in Christ, which takes an intentionality? you got to invest in it. And number three, have you been sifting out foolishness? They all three connect. They're all interrelated. Okay? So here's what I mean. It comes from verses 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly. To him, And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Judges all things, but is judged by no one. Well, we'll figure that out in a second, okay? But the passage ends with this. We have the mind of Christ. Now think about that for a moment. If, as a believer, if you could think like anyone, if you could be formed by anyone, wouldn't it be Jesus? Okay, great, good. You're with me so far, okay. Yeah, I would agree with the three people who said that. I would want to have his mind to understand things, to see things in the perspective of Jesus does, to have that shape me and, and, and refocus, uh, not just mentally and, or intellectually, but my heart, to have, to have him working uh, from my mind into my heart and have all of Jesus changing me. I want that kind of mind, that kind of lifestyle. So a spiritual person having the mind of Christ uh, it's, two it's, it's two different ways to say the same thing, okay? Spiritual person and mind of Christ, it's really the same idea. So apparently the Corinthians don't have the mind of Christ, at least not yet, or are struggling with the folly, he uses the word folly, or foolishness, and I pointed out last week, he's not just making fun of people, it's folly, it's foolish, because it goes nowhere, okay? You may believe it, you may, it may seem like it fills you up for a while, but in the end it doesn't. It leaves you emptier than you were before. So you need someone else, something else that fills you up in a way that doesn't disappoint at the end. You, you remember that? That's where we're at. So that's the kind of folly, the foolishness that they've been caught up in. So the mind of Christ rejects that kind of folly and foolishness. It isn't a dead end. In fact, it is the beginning of everything, it's not the end, it's the beginning, that kind of mindset. So the mind of Christ has grown. You've got to pay attention to it. You need to keep it sharp and clear so that you can be spiritually discerning, as Paul says. It doesn't just happen. You'll switch back to what Paul says is natural, okay? A believer can get sucked in back into that way of thinking, that way of life. You've got to be moving towards something else that isn't a dead end. That's what Paul talks about. So back to verse 15. That word judge or that idea, okay? The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. That's ESV. It may not be very helpful for us to understand what's going on. Another word could be that English word, that of discern, which appears in verse 14. Another option is examine instead of the word judge. And one scholar I read this past week used the word sift. And I really liked that as I continued to study to help me understand what was going on. Now, the, the uh, home I grew up in, dad built in the 1950s, and it had a, a cabinet in the kitchen that had this big flour container uh, that had, I don't know, three, four pounds of flour in it, a metal container, not kind of like a cylinder, and dad made it for mom. Uh, but you saw them a lot in these old kitchen cabinets that probably Sears and Roebuck sold years, you know, like over 100 years ago, right? So dad took that from the, that old cabinet and put it into the new cabinet in our kitchen, had hinges on it. So this thing like this long, you could pull it out on the hinge and put flour into the top and put it back in. Kind of cool, right? Cutting edge farm stuff. All right. So on the bottom of it, it had a sifter. So you could... Uh, 
as you were baking, cooking, whatever, you could sift the flour into whatever container you had underneath it. So, I don't have that large thing, but it started with flour, okay? Now, sometimes on the farm, in that big container, right, it could get humid in the house. We didn't have air conditioning until 1990-something, whatever. So stuff could get sticky and lumpy, right? And every once in a while, there could be something in there you didn't want in there, right? Bugs, you know, it can get, get into the cabinet or, or flies or whatever, gross stuff, right? Adds more protein, I suppose, but you don't really want it in there, okay? So in that big container, there is a sifter in the bottom that worked like this handheld deal right here, okay? I have never used this before. I'm just for, for the record, okay? This is the first time I've ever touched it. Yeah, oh, thank you. There we go. See? Thank you. Now, that big, that big thing in our kitchen and this little handheld deal. You just go like that. Is, wow, look at that. I'm not even making a mess. It looks like snow falling. It's Christmas time, okay? So, any lumps, any bugs... They stay in that big container, and they don't wind up in your mixing bowl. Now, Paul talks about judging. Another word I said is sifting. As you're growing in your relationship with Christ, are you sifting through the things that are coming your direction with the Word of God? Are you applying God's truth to all of this stuff? We are about to get into really serious issues in the Corinthian church that most, I don't know if about, yeah, I'd say the majority of churches don't even touch today. They don't. It's too awkward. It means you have to be able to handle the Word of God accurately and teach it. Because these issues are huge, and they do exist today. So we can't ignore them. What it means to be a growing spiritual person is you're looking at that stuff and you're saying not everything belongs in the church of God. Not everything belongs in my life. I have to approach things with the, with, with the understanding that, that the Word of God has what I need. I can't replace it, and I dare not ignore it or work around it. The Word of God applied to me directs my thinking even in those difficult situations. Now, some of the things we're going to look at, we've got to be extra careful in understanding the cultural background and how that influenced what it is that Paul is addressing. There are certain things that were happening in the first century that can stay there, okay? We don't bring those to the 21st century. But there's other things, it takes discernment. It takes a lot of study as we work through to sift through what's going on. Luckily, fortunately, for us as believers, Paul reminds us today, Spirit hasn't left us. He hasn't like, hope you guys can sort it out, right? And we're on our own. We're not on our own. The Spirit of God is with us. He's enabling us, and He's helping us to think with the mind of Christ Himself. He has given us that. We've got to be careful with each other. We've got to keep loving each other. There are certain things that, that just don't matter, that the EFCA or the city on a hill decides, you know, we're not going to focus on certain things because they're not critical or primary to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So there may be disagreement 
within our body on certain things that they're primary or secondary or somewhere down the list. That's okay. We're going to work through that. We're going to sift through those things with the mind of Christ in order that not only am I personally am a better Christian or whatever, I understand more, that's lower on the list. What's more important is that we love each other, that we stay unified as believers, that we work through the sifting process so that together as a community of faith, we advance. We're never alone as it comes to Christians. We've always got to be thinking about how does the body of Christ function. That was critical for the Corinthians. It's critical for us today. So, just in case you miss those things, those three things, if you want to write them down or think about them, do you find joy each day that you have in Christ? Are you growing your understanding? And are you sifting out those, those things of folly that are a dead end, that don't bring you deeper into relationship with Christ or in community and fellowship with each other? Speaking of that, we have the table before us, the time that the community gathers from ancient times, the first century, um, until right now, is not an individual practice either. What we do here together, we do corporately. We do together. The juice and the wafer, those are meant to represent Christ as we worship together. So if you come into the space this morning not feeling spiritual enough for communion, to take the elements, if you know Christ, if you've trusted in Him for salvation, you're spiritual enough. Just don't let it in there. Where are you going with that relationship? Maybe for you, this morning is a time of renewal. Maybe something in those verses we read is stirring in you and bumping around in your brain and causing your heart to, to warm again to the joy that you have in Christ. Great! Go there. Begin with the table. Thank God that he loves you, that he chose to love you, to send his son to die for you. But live in that love today and this week. Thrive in the joy of the salvation that you have and ask for the wisdom to go there to be more resistant to foolishness and to trust even more that, the, that our Savior has given you His mind to guide your thinking. So, if you're new to our church, you don't have to be a super spiritual person in worldly senses or worldly understanding. You just got to know Christ. If you know Christ, if you have repented of sin and you've chosen to trust in Him, this table is for you. Come and take a cup Return to your seat, enjoy it, pray over it. If you want to take some time to pray first before coming to the table, awesome. Maybe this morning is the first time you take the cup as a new believer. Welcome. That can be you. That can be your joy realized for the first time in your life that Jesus died not just for other people, he died for you. Wouldn't that be awesome? This morning can be your celebration in a new way. So think about that as we prepare. As always, I'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received, Paul said from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you come to us, you take us as we are, and you don't leave us there, that your grace and your salvation plan is good enough for all of us. For by grace we've been saved through faith. It is not of our own works. We, we cling to that, those words and that promise that you give us. Make this morning a new opportunity for all of us to, to renew our thinking, to trust in you more, and to celebrate and joy of what it is that you've done for us. Bless this time. Use it, Lord, so that our minds and hearts can be all the more given over to what it is that you have for us. Help us to think and to act in ways that honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.